So we're moving on now to verses 8 through 12. I don't imagine we'll get all the way through them today. But we've got time left, so let's do that. I'm going to start reading in Revelation 22, verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I'm coming quickly or swiftly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So, very important here, verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. In all of John's New Testament writings, he places really great emphasis on his eyewitness testimony. John 1.14, first chapter of John's Gospel, he speaks of Jesus as the Word, and he says in verse 14, the Word, big W, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Peter, James, and John were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember when Jesus met with Moses and Elijah, and they all were glowing? They got a preview of Jesus' heavenly glory. So John is referring to that here. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Father, full of grace and truth. Then we go to John 21, 24. This is the disciple, and he's speaking of himself, who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So John repeatedly puts himself out there as an eyewitness. 1 John 1, 1 through 3 that which was from the beginning. What does it say in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here in 1 John 1, 1, he goes back to the same theme, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. Remember Thomas, in particular. I'm suspecting the other disciples at some point had physical contact with the resurrected Christ as well. Our hands have handled concerning the word, again, the big W, the word of life. The life was manifested, made known, shown forth, and we have seen, again, he talks about actually literally seeing the risen Christ, and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen, he says it again, and heard they heard his voice, they saw him, and heard, we declare to you that you may also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In that passage, three verses, John speaks four times about looking upon him, seeing him, really emphasizing his role as an eyewitness to the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he says, when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel. John's so blown away by what he's seen and heard, he does something he probably wouldn't normally have done. He spontaneously falls down at the feet of the angel, and it already happened to him once before during this receiving of this revelation. 
In verse 19, verse 10, I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Worship God. And that is an admonition that we all need to take to heart. You know, some people do get obsessed with different icons, if you will. You know, I've been to people's houses where they had little angels everywhere. And I'm not legalistic about it, but we have to be careful. We're told in the Ten Commandments not to make any graven image unto God. And, you know, and uh, Oliver Cromwell, the Puritans in England, they banned all images from the church, even the cross. I think that may be a little extreme, but I understand where they were coming from. They were trying to keep their eyes on God and God alone. So we have to be careful. Some people, we can only pray to God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, we shouldn't be praying to Mary, to saints, to angels. They can't do anything for you unless God tells them to. I mean, Mary, I don't think she's in the picture at all. I mean, she's up there enjoying fellowship with her son. But the angels are dispatched by God. They are God's messengers. They are God's ministering spirits. We don't put our requests into the angels. We put our requests into God. And if he chooses to dispatch an angel to your to serve you, to help you, then so be it. But we have to be careful. But two times John is rebuked by the angel. Don't, hey, don't, don't do that. He was, he was scared. The angel was scared. Nobody can share with God's glory or share in God's glory. It's his alone. You know, and even someone as great as John, the apostle, was tempted to worship the messenger rather than the author of the message. That's how cults get started, Okay. That's how false religions and false belief systems take root. When we begin to worship the messenger rather than the message. And that can even apply in the secular world as well. People begin to worship, whether it's politicians, entertainers, you know, technocrats, you name it. There's probably a lot of people out there who worship Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, so forth. But again, Mary, the saints, even someone like a Billy Graham who was a great man, greatest evangelist of the 20th century, my pastor Chuck Smith, but we have to be careful that we keep our eyes on God, not on men. 1 Corinthians 1.11, Paul says, It's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. And again, here's a really good point to be made. So often churches can become consumed with strife and division, and we hear about church splits and so forth. Paul's addressing that issue here. It's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are Contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul. I'm a Paulite or a Paulinian. I'm of Apollos. I'm an Apollonian. Or I'm of Cephas, Peter. Or I'm of Christ. And Paul is saying that these identifications, now the party of Apollos apparently preferred a polished style in preaching. If you look at Acts 18.24, 
Paul came under derision from certain believers for not being a very eloquent speaker. Hard to imagine since he wrote the bulk of the New Testament, isn't it? But there were those who preferred Apollos because he was more, perhaps more dynamic, more eloquent. And then the party of Cephas, Peter, that party appealed to the traditionalists who wanted a leader who had walked with Christ. Paul did not walk with Christ. He met Christ post-resurrection on the road to Damascus, whereas Peter was one of those original 12 who spent three years living with Jesus day in and day out. So there were some who identified, and that perhaps as part of the reason Peter went on to be known as the first pope, which, I'm sorry, that's not true. He wasn't the first, there was no pope. The pope. <laughs> Pink Panther. The pope. Peter was not the first pope. Nor would Peter have wanted to be the first pope, I don't think. And I'm not trying to slam the Catholic Church, I'm just trying to balance things out with some truth. So there was the party of Apollos. There was the party of Cephas. And there were some that identified with Paul for, for good reason. He was a great man. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And then there was the party of Christ. And that included those who looked down on attachment to any group and flaunted their liberty in Christ. And you've probably heard people say this before. Well, I don't follow anybody but Jesus. Now, we, in theory, that's, that's the way it should be. We should be following Jesus, but people who say that usually mean it in a very arrogant, superior attitude kind of a way, you know? And so Paul even includes that group in this exhortation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. And Paul's saying, if you're going to start looking to me as your Savior instead of Jesus, then I don't even want to be associated with that. At the very least... And I'm sure you can think of many other examples of your own. At the very least, this attitude leads to quarrels and division in the church, uh, what we commonly call denominationalism. If you've ever wondered, why are there so many different denominations? Well, this gives you a little bit of an indicator, doesn't it? We talk about Calvinism sometimes. John Calvin, who was the originator of Calvinism. We talk about Arminianism. The origin of Arminianism comes from a guy named Arminius. And so we get these uh, theological persuasions that are introduced into the church by various individuals. People like them, they grab onto them, and then it becomes an, an area of divisiveness and strife. So at the very least, it leads to quarrels and division in the church. At the worst, it leads to deception, as I mentioned, cults. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Mary Baker Eddy. Reverend Moon, Benny Hinn, sorry, for, but he's another one, I believe, who has led people astray with false teaching. David Koresh, remember that, Branch Davidian down there? And even Mohammed, who now today you would have to argue that they call the three great world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, 
The only problem is Christianity and Judaism both worship the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh, Jehovah, the one true God, the creator of all things. The Muslims worship Allah, who is the devil in disguise. That's the difference. But that's how someone like a Muhammad, someone like a Joseph Smith, they have some kind of unholy anointing, if you will, that draws people to them, and they are able to lead them astray with their false teaching. Hence, we're told by God, hold on to, hold fast to what you have. Now, I'm not saying I, we should be loyal and faithful to the leaders that God's established in the church. Nothing wrong with that. It, that submission to earthly church authority is t totally voluntary. No one can ever force you to submit, force me to submit. It's a choice we make as we identify with people that we believe to be good, godly leaders. But only to the extent that these leaders, these teachers themselves, are loyal to God and to the truth of His Word. As I've said before, we are not ever expected by God to obey anyone, whether it be a wife to a husband, a church member to a pastor, what have you, if they would ask us to do something that's ungodly, unbiblical, or illegal. Because God does back the, the judicial laws, the civil laws of the land. Unfortunately, many people in our country don't anymore. But the Bible tells us that God raises up leaders. He raises up authority that we should submit to them unless they tell us to do something that's ungodly, unbiblical, or illegal. Galatians 1, 8 and 9, again, the Apostle Paul writing, but even if we, Paul and his associates, listen to this, even if we are an angel from heaven, of course, this is hypothetical because Paul would never do this and an angel from heaven would never do it, but he's just trying to emphasize how important this is. Even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, a false gospel, a fake gospel, a different gospel, let him be what? Accursed. Paul is saying, if I was to come and start leading you astray and bringing to you a false gospel, may I be cursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. And you do realize, of course, that there are many people out there preaching other gospels. Do you know that? It has to be measured against the truth of God's word. And if it can't be validated, it must be rejected. And that's where your discernment comes in. God gives you discernment by His Holy Spirit. And rather than go by what feels good or what sounds good, we have to go by what the Spirit of God is telling us through His Holy Word. They can be very good at telling us what we want to hear, can they not? Paul warned Timothy about that. People gathering up, heaping up teachers to themselves, having itching ears, those who will tell them what they want to hear. It's okay to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's okay to be gay, bisexual, transgendered, non-binary. You know, the world was confused enough when we had men and women and boys and girls. 
You know how confused it is now? And they've added so much onto it, I can't ever remember it. It's LGBTQS, 2 plus A something. It's like off the charts, off the map. How do you keep track of all that? It's unbelievable. Verse, verse 9. Then he said to me, the angel said to John, See that you do not do that. Bow down and worship me, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, so same angels that were serving the Old Testament prophets are now serving the New Testament apostles, John in particular. And of those who keep the words of this book, notice that I'm your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. So if you and I keep the words of this book, those same angels are serving us. Worship God, he says. He emphasizes it again. See that you don't do that. Don't worship me, John. This is an emphatic command, just like the one in 19, verse 10, chapter 19, verse 10. As he should be, the angel is horrified at the prospect of anyone worshiping him as a created being. And yet, people worship created beings all the time, don't they? You talk about the animal rights group, PETA, and all that. The environment. Romans chapter 1 talks all about that, how mankind began to worship creation rather than the Creator, and it led to a depraved mind, to a reprobate condition, because they started to worship the creation rather than the Creator. Powerful chapter, Romans 1. Read it over and over again. It gives you the whole story of what we're seeing right before us now. This angel, as a created being, was horrified that anyone would worship him rather than the God who created all men and all angels including the fallen ones. And all of this, by the way, is in stark contrast to the Antichrist, which we studied earlier in the book, who demands to be worshipped as God and to his father, the devil. Matthew 4, 9, Satan is tempting Jesus. You remember his 40 days fasting in the wilderness. Satan comes to Jesus and he said to him, remember he takes him up on a high peak, and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he offers them all to Jesus. He says, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the gall of the devil to offer the Son of God all the kingdoms of the world if he would bow down and worship Satan? That gives you some idea how much kutzpah this guy has. Okay? Don't take him lightly. For heaven's sake. 2 Thessalonians 2.3, let no one deceive you by any means. Again, it, unless there is the possibility of us being deceived, why would we be warned over and over again in the scriptures about it? Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, is what Paul's talking about here, which I believe the day of the Lord is triggered by the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And again, the mainstream, mainline understanding that I grew up under with Pastor Chuck and other people like Tim LaHaye and uh, Hal Lindsey and so forth is that the, the great falling away, the falling away is the apostasy of the church. You can't fall away from something you never had, right? 
You can't refer to a non-believer as having fallen away. They were never there in the first place. So who's going to fall away? It's going to be believers or people who identify as believers, right? And so Paul says that that falling away has to come first. Others have identified this falling away as the snatching away of the saints in the rapture. It could very well be both. But there's no doubt we are seeing a great apostasy in the church today. Would you agree? How do we know that? Because more and more so-called believers are embracing homosexuality, gay marriage, sex outside of marriage, adultery, you name it, fornication. It's all kosher. <laughs> Excuse me. Now, and many other reasons. We're going to wrap it up here in just a moment. Unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, the man of, this is the Antichrist, folks, the man of sin, the son of perdition. You know who else is called the son of perdition in the Bible? Judas. Why? The Bible tells us in the Gospels that when Judas made the decision to betray Christ, Satan entered him. There's another person that Satan is going to enter, and that is the Antichrist, the beast, who opposes and exalts himself above, above all that is called God or is worshipped. So he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is that abomination that causes desolation halfway through the tribulation, when the Antichrist prances into the temple and proclaims himself to be God. And so this is in direct contrast to what the angel's telling John. Oh, don't go there. Don't worship me. I'm just a created being like you. Worship God, the true God, the creator of all things. And again, John was just reacting in the emotions and dynamics of the moment. But it's here to give us a very powerful lesson that we should look to and take heed to and so that takes us to the end of today let's stand and again I want to do something a little bit different today and historically I'm not the kind of person to do this kind of stuff okay I was never known as Mr. Warm and Fuzzy although I do have love God has put his love in my heart I love you guys with all my heart but um, it just came to me through, during the week. I was thinking back to several weeks ago when we laid hands on and prayed for each other. And I felt like today, I don't want to get weird here, but um, first of all, if you have a prayer request, raise your hand, okay? And God sees those hands. All right, but now I want everybody to join hands, okay? I'm just sensing the need. We need to get closer and closer to one another, folks. We need to get tighter and tighter. Do you realize we're in the last days? We don't have any more time to be aloof, to be distant, to be separate from one another. We need to join together like we never have before. The time is short. The times are perilous. You don't want to find yourself out there on a limb with nobody to back you up. We need each other. And I felt like we needed to join hands today, okay? I guess I better do it with these guys up here. I don't want to be a sayer and not a doer. All right, let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you, first of all, for the power of your word, the truth of your word, 
And we pray, God, you'd help us to hold fast to that which we have. Do not let anyone steal our crown, not let anyone lead us astray or deceive us, seduce us, reduce us, but we would stand firm and stand strong in our faith. That faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, Father, not any new baloney that's coming down the pike, not any fake easy believism, not any reinvented Christianity, but that faith that the apostles set forth and laid down once and for all as the foundation of our faith. Lord, we lift up now all the prayer requests, the hands that went up. You saw them, Father. And Lord, you tell us in your word that whenever two or more agree as touching anything, that you would hear that prayer, Lord. And so we want to agree together for healing this morning for those who have physical issues. Lord, perhaps some in this room right now who are holding hands with a brother or sister in Christ, they're struggling with a health issue. Maybe they've made it known, maybe they've not. But you know, we pray for healing, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, for your glory, we're not seeking glory for ourselves, but we would love to be able to give that testimony, Father, of your healing power at work in our lives. So we lift up everything from allergies and asthma and COPD and cancer and leukemia and whatever it might be, Father, that you would conquer all these illnesses and bless your people with health and strength that we might continue to serve you and glorify you on this earth until you see fit to take us home. Lord, we lift up mental and emotional issues. Those can be just as devastating, if not more so, than the physical ones. We pray for healing, Lord, from bipolar, from schizophrenia, from depression, anxiety, worry, fear, doubt, unbelief, anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. Lord, cleanse our hearts and minds. Take these things from us. We repent of them in Jesus' name, and we, we give them to you, Lord. We ask you to take them from us and purify our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. We pray for relationships that have been damaged or broken, that you, Lord, you are the healer. You're the one who restores and uh, rehabilitates and repairs these relationships, whether it be a marriage, a friendship, a relationship with a neighbor, a co-worker, a relative. Lord, we ask for healing and restoration of these relationships so that we have opportunity to continue to be a witness for you, Lord, and to encourage those around us and for healing of families that have been broken, God, children whose hearts have been broken. We pray for healing and restoration in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray also for financial issues. Lord, we, we don't want to focus on the material. Your word tells us that your kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And yet, we do live in a material world, Lord, and we have to deal with that on a daily basis. So we pray that you would take care of us, provide for us as you promised to do, help us to be good stewards, over the resources you've blessed us with. Help us to help each other, that no one would go hungry, no one would go without those basic needs of life. Lord, for those needing jobs, we pray that you provide the very best job possible. Lord, the, those who need a, a rescue or a miracle financially, that you would bring that about for them. We thank you that you hear our prayers. You do answer our prayers. We give you praise and glory and honor in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.